Mr. Waller, I've offered this man a lot of money to do this, okay? Because it's worth it to me. However, I don't care if I end up penniless. I don't care if I have to spend my life savings. I will see to it that you end up in the hospital for one week, Mr. Waller. Do you understand me? <laughs> I need me a Japanese. Hello there, folks. Welcome to another episode of Desert Island Comp Series on the We Don't Know Wrestling Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam. And this week, I am joined by the one and only Jamesy. Jamesy, how are you doing? I'm very well, Sam. Delighted to be here. I think I think we might have discussed doing this about two years ago. And between pandemics and things going awry in the European wrestling scene, shall we say, I think it, it, it got put on hold more than once. So um, it, it's great to finally be here, and it's great to finally be talking to you. Uh, likewise, I know, like, Emily, I have probably... A number of strands out there with folks, but like like yourself, going back right before the pandemic started, and I was like, you know what, I have no desire to do anything at this point. But I am starting a new job in the coming week, so I had this week off, which meant uh, the alignments were there for a podcast episode between the two of us, as far as timing goes. So I'm excited to to jump into these things. Absolutely, yep. Can't wait to get started. It's um. It's a great, like, I, I love this podcast anyway. I love listening to it. I, I think it's a brilliant concept. And I think it's it's actually amazing to me that nobody thought of it before you did. Because it's such a, it's such a, when you actually think about it, it's such a, a simple thing. But it's like, it's, it's not the easiest thing to make a list of 10 matches. And it's kind of one of those things where you have to actually give it a little bit of thought. But um, yeah, always been a fan. I've always enjoyed your previous guests. So very delighted and very honored to be here. Yeah, there's someone that attempted to steal it. With three matches, but then they had David Star on it. So I feel like, at the end of the day, my guests are the top of the top, <laughs> clean <laughs> folks, good people. We, have, we haven't been canceled yet. Sam. Haven't been canceled, and beyond that, genuinely good folks. So I am excited to hop into it. I am going to run down the list that you sent over to me. We're going to go this one by one for anyone that hasn't listened. It is a list of ten matches, three promos or angles or extras that we're going to run through one by one and kind of discuss the background of your history with the match and why you want to bring it to you to this desert island. First up, it is the Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble 1992. Why did this match make your desert island comp? Okay, so um, when I was putting together my list... I wanted to kind of hit on different parts of my wrestling fandom throughout my life, you know, and as you know, you, you can associate being a certain age with certain matches and certain times in your life. And if I was to think about one wrestling match from my childhood and my youth, it would be the 1992 Royal Rumble. Um, I think everybody has maybe that one year in their childhood when they were completely immersed in wrestling as a fan. And I would say that 1992 was probably that year in my childhood. Like in 19... Now, I'm, I'm, I'm 
not a young man, Sam. I'm not like some of these whippersnappers running around on Twitter who are covering wrestling these days. I, I, I'm a man of a certain age. Like in 1992, I'm giving my age away here. I was 11 years of age. But that was kind of the year when the stars aligned for me to actually fully become a wrestling fan, I suppose. Um, like it was one of those things that I did watch wrestling before that. But it was difficult to watch wrestling uh, because it was on very late at night here in Ireland. It was on Friday night at really late. And my parents were quite strict as I was growing up. So we weren't allowed to stay up late. But in 1992, we had the correct channels. We had superstars on a Saturday afternoon. And I vividly remember that whole year uh, as, as the, that year when I was completely just immersed in the whole thing. You know, I, I was I had all the the wrestling figures of the wrestlers of the time. I had my wrestling ring. I had my notebook where I was booking G1s and knockout tournaments between all my wrestlers. And I had, I was getting the magazine every month and just, you know, it's, it's just, I associate it with my childhood. And I think a little bit of, if you're going to go to a desert Island, I think nostalgia is something that will give you a lot of comfort. If you're alone and lonely on an Island, I think nostalgia and fondly remembering your childhood is, is a really good one, you know? And, in terms of the match itself, like it's 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 the Royal Rumble match. And you, you said it yourself in the introduction. It is the Royal Rumble match for most people, isn't it? Like it's it's I think it's the greatest Royal Rumble of all time. It's um, it's it's a who's who of wrestlers from the eighties. Like everyone is in it, from DiBiase to Hogan, Flair, Piper, Randy Savage, Jake Roberts, Greg Valentine, Tito Santana, Rick Martel. And then even like younger, like a young Shawn Michaels is there, Undertaker, people who'd come to prominence in later decades, you know. So it's it's just, it's 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 a match you could sit down with anybody and you could show them the match and they would remember these guys from, from, from their youth, you know. So it's I just, it's, it's from that point of view, it's brilliant. From the performance of Flair himself, it's amazing, you know. He goes the full hour. He's like back in those days being an early entrance to the Royal Rumble wasn't necessarily a kind of a signpost that you were going to go long. I think nobody in the first five, they say on commentary, had ever won the Royal Rumble. Um, it has that extra added importance of the fact that it's actually for the title rather than for the usual match of mania. Um, and of course, you've got Bobby Heenan on commentary. You know, the, the, the late, great Bobby Heenan and, and his his iconic commentary, um, the whole it's not fair to flare things his his panic when flair comes out at number three his panic every time it looks like he's going to be knocked out like it is one of the all-time great commentary performances i think um and yeah it's 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 just real comfort food i think more than anything it's a comfort food wrestling match for me you know it features one of the greatest eliminations in royal rumble history i think that's that, that sergeant slaughter elimination um where he's whipped across the ring and he literally takes a bump and like Sergeant Slaughter in 1992 is not a young man and he takes a serious bump over the turnbuckles, over the ring post to the floor. And it'll always be one of those ones that I'll remember as an iconic Royal Rumble moment, I suppose, you know. And then, of course, there's the, the pre-match promos and the post-match promos by Flair. It's, you know, you talk about greatest wrestler ever. Can't really talk about it without talking about Flair. It's one of those highlight moments of his career. And yeah, just everything about it is great. And it's it's just it makes me happy to watch this match. And these are the kind of matches I want to bring to a desert island with me. Matches that make me happy. Yeah, I think this match has been brought up a few times before now on this series. Yes, yeah. And for good reason. Transparently, it's going to be with folks more of a certain age bracket um, <laughs> where it does hit that nostalgia because 92 is just a great year for all these characters being in this specific match and how they 
play out. It does feel, to a sense, like, oh, this is my toy box come to life. In exactly. the, the way you would want it to be. So yeah, I can definitely see that. I definitely get that. And you have an hour match with one of the great commentary performances of all time, one of the great wrestling performances of all time, and Flair, just the way that he pretty much goes from beginning to end in the sense that very few wrestlers that even are in those early portions, they're ducking out for good chunks. And he is a vital component every step of the way. Um, and it's, it's all era almost as well. Like you, if you, you look at the, the people in that Royal Rumble match and say, you look at the, the, the WWF as it was roster, say 12 months later, and it's unrecognizable. Like the, the, the steroid trial happens soon after. The whole thing gets turned on its head. So it's very much, it's the, I think it's the end of the kind of the cartoon era of pro wrestling that, that very much is my childhood. So like, if you're going to have a swan song for it and if it's going to go out on a bang, my God, what a way to do it, you know? And like, I I remember, I like I don't know, do you have a year, Sam, that you've associated in particular with your childhood where you were just completely, all your friends were like, I think with us as wrestling fans, we have a constant relationship with wrestling. But for most normal people, they dip out of wrestling. They go in and out of it. They leave it behind at a certain point in their lives. This was the age for me where all my friends were into wrestling. My next door neighbor was just as much into it as me. And we spent our we spent our days sitting in each other's porches with a wrestling ring, booking, booking tournaments and booking ride rumbles and this kind of thing. And um, as I said, for me, it's just... That's my childhood, in a, a snapshot of my childhood. Yeah, I think somewhere between 98 and 2000 was okay. obviously the hot period um, for my youth. Um, but I'm going to be honest with you, there was a, it was like a snap of the fingers as far as just interest uh, in wrestling in my kind of neck of the woods, um, regardless of it being as hot as it ever going to be. And we were in WWF territory at 1000% where kind of any tangential relation to WCW was primarily through the video games which kicked butt right. uh, anything else though WCW is like I, I don't know who Goldberg is really other than he's the cool guy in the WCW backstage brawl video game and that's kind of where it ended um, like even a sting like Sting was a cool-looking dude I would see in a box art somewhere. Not someone I had has ever seen at that point in time in my life. So, yeah, I think that was kind of my, my time frame of nostalgia, I guess. But also a very different time in wrestling that felt like uh, flash in a pants sort of situation as far as the attitude era goes. Yeah, and, and like Ireland in particular, where I'm from, I'm sure your listeners will have guessed from my accent that I'm Irish. Um, like I, it, it was com almost complete again WWF territory over here. Like, and and the big thing that happened, of course, in '92 was that SummerSlam happened in the UK across the water, and like that was a huge, huge deal because um, there was this TV station that was just coming on board, like a subscription station called Sky Sports over here. And part of their rollout was that they were going to have this live pay-per-view from Wembley in England, you know. So it was just, as I said, it all just kind of came together in 92 for us as wrestling fans. And that, that was our year, you know. And then WWE coming back, coming back across the pond one more time for a pay-per-view. 
coming, it's coming up again. Coming exactly. again. To, to, uh, I think it will sell well, but I don't know if it'll have the the culture. I don't think the kids in the schoolyard will be talking about it quite as much as. Mm, I don't think so. I don't think I, so. It will sell out. It will sell out. But like, I I feel like back for us and I, like it was it was a genuine cultural event. Like you could buy newspapers, like the British tabloid newspapers, the day of that show. That show was on the front page of the paper. You know, like you could literally go into news agents and read about it. That was a big, big deal. And like, I have no doubt that this show in Cardiff will will sell out, and it has already done great pre-sales and that. But I can't see it being the the big event for the for the kids of 2022 as it was for us 30 years ago. You know. Yeah, I doubt that. Uh, as we kind of wrap up. The night to rumble have to ask you as we as one always has to answer to how do we feel about hulk hogan screwing sid vicious oh i meant to say that like that that to me was was the first that was that was a young jamesy watching that and it was my first inclination that this guy this guy is a bit of an asshole you know like like you grow up and you believe that who the baby face you believe the baby faces and you doubt the heels you know and obviously growing up for me hulk hogan was the guy he was the star he was the most important person but even back then to me what he does to poor old sid just did not sit right with me like that was that was wrong wasn't it and like i'm i'm an unashamed sid fan i absolutely love sid just as anyway and i still do to this very day i think he's fantastic i think he's the, the most gifable wrestler maybe of all time um but yeah the, what he did that that was my first inclination and my instincts were correct. This Hulk Hogan guy, bit of an asshole. Yeah, I am going to be honest with you. I've watched this fairly recently for the first time. Let's say in the past five years, I guess it's yeah. fairly recently. And I was unaware of this ending. Yeah. And I was aghast. I was like, what is going on? How did this happen? Why did this happen? And I was like, Flair's moment taken from him. To a degree here. Uh, and Hulk Hogan, just a complete piece of shit. Yeah, absolutely. And screwed Sid as well. Yeah. 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 And apparently, I, I've seen some things on Twitter where apparently the live crowd on, on the night completely shot on it as well and completely turned on Hogan. And they had to doctor all the audio afterwards then to kind of drown out all the booze and that kind of thing. Like So people knew. They could hide it, but people knew that guy was an asshole. Yeah. Um... All right, that's 92 Rumble. Let's move on to match number two. 6995. One of the few matches you can Google search just the date, and you're going to get the results. Why did this match make your Desert Island comp? Okay, so what a contrast. We have yeah. the 1992 Royal Rumble, uh, then Super Serious, uh, Puro, and the 90s All Japan. Um, I suppose, like, when, when you told me the task was to, to name 10 matches, the instinct is straight away to list the 10 best matches of all time. You know, your, your top 10 matches ever, the matches you've given the five stars to and all that kind of thing. And then I realized that's not in the spirit of the podcast whatsoever. And that's not really, that isn't even what I would want to bring to a desert island with me. You know, I, I would want a little bit more and I would want... You know, like the last match that I can associate my childhood with it. And for a lot of the matches I have put on this list, I have a, like, you know, there's a personal story I can tell or that there's a reason why it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside to watch those matches. You know, with this match, I've put it on because I, I sincerely believe it is the greatest wrestling match of all time. And I think 
I can put that one on the list and maybe make the other nine favourite matches. But um, for me, yeah, it's 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 just the best match of all time. You know, it's um, my first ever podcast on this audio network, the Boots and Trunks podcast, was about this match because I couldn't think of a better place to start with it. Um, and it's just like you talk about what makes a great match and choose any criteria for greatness really and this match will give it to you in spades you know it's important if if you had never if you didn't know the story behind this match and you just showed this match to somebody who knew nothing about the story of all japan or who masawa was or who kabashi was i think they'll enjoy this match because it's it's all the great things you would want in a tag match it has southern tag elements to it it has limb work it has great selling there's very obvious hatred between certain people in the match. It has, you know, the stiff strikes, there's all the head drops, head drops you would expect from the era. So even at face value, it's a great match. But then, of course, there's the underlying story, you know. And um, for me, the story of 1990s All Japan, it's not Masawa, who was the ace for, for most of that decade. It's not Kobashi, who was the kind of rising star throughout that decade. The story of 1990s All Japan is the flawed hero, Toshiaki Kawada, and his quest to try and get one up on Masawa. And, you know, I think these those two had wrestled something like 20, they had shared a ring, I think, something like 25 times before this match, and Kawada had never managed to beat him. And that's the real thing that's going on in this match. You know what I mean? And, you know, not to spoil the finish for anyone, Kawada finally gets the pinfall on Masawa in this match and beats him for the first time. And what a moment that is, you know, and, and what, what, a, what a payoff to, to, to such a lot. Like these guys were friends in high school. They, they wrestled on amateur teams together as kids. They came through the dojo together. It's a lifelong story they share. And it's, you know, one of the great stories in professional wrestling is Kawada's, Kawada constantly being in the shadow of this guy, Masawa. You know, he's not as good looking as Masawa. He doesn't have as good a physique as him. He's not... Jumbo and Baba's golden boy in the way that Masawa is. He's always trying to scratch and claw for any little bit of recognition he can get. And on this particular night, he finally gets his moment in the sun, you know. And to me, that's an amazing thing. Um, and like, you know, anyone who knows me as a wrestling fan and anyone who's listened to me on podcasts or seen, seen me on Twitter, I, I like small details in matches as well. And there's there's so many little small details in this, like... Um, Tawei and Kawada attacking like Masawa wrestles Tawei I think it's in April of that year and badly injures Masawa's eye socket and they go to town attacking Masawa's eye socket throughout this match so like you're getting if you're an attentive fan and if you're somebody who's watched all the other matches from this era you'll get your reward as well there's an unbelievable leg attack on Kobashi and his his selling of it is amazing there's like the opening moment of the match either Kawada Kawada like immediately makes a beeline for Masawa who's standing on the ring apron and kicks him off the ring apron and like there's, there's this moment where the camera pans to Kobashi and he just has this stunned look on his face and his, his lip is almost quivering he's just so appalled at the idea that, that Kawada would go after Masawa so quickly you know um, and one of the moments in this match is is to me one of just the most amazing I would call it amazing babyface acts of all time in professional wrestling. It's when Basawa's was really getting badly beaten down by the Holy Demon Army and he's in real trouble. And Kobashi literally lies on top of him to protect him from the onslaught from Tawei and Kawada. And like, it's, it's a simple thing. And like, if you're listening to this and you've never seen the match, you might think that doesn't sound like much, 
But to me, it, it's just it's it's such a simple thing. Like, but he's he's so selfless. He's so loyal. He has this such a desire to protect his tag partner. Like he he, he lies on top of him and almost cradles him like a child, and puts his own body on the line to protect his partner. And to me, it's just I don't know what it is about that moment, but it's it it just always stands out to me as one of the great babyface moments in pro wrestling history. And like I have no idea why no one's ever tried to steal it or do it again in a tag match because such a simple thing but such an amazing effective thing so it's as i said at the start it's, it's everything you could possibly want from a great match it's great action it's it's accessible to the viewer who knows nothing about these people and yet it also rewards the hardened viewer who's done the work and watched everything else you know and every time i watch it something else jumps. it's one of those great matches where every time you watch it another little detail jumps out at you or another amazing little thing jumps out and for that reason um, has to be on the list and has to come to the desert island with me for sure. Yeah, I know when I saw this match on your list, I said to myself, okay, I'm not going to be watching this one specifically <laughs> because I want to do the work and I want to go through that process at some point in my life. Hmm. It's just not going to be tomorrow uh, because it is held in such regard that so many people love this match that it is considered one of the pinnacles of professional wrestling in Japan and in history. So I am really glad major list. I like the kind of rationale of this match over some others on this list is a kind of more of a pure. This is just the greatest match of all time. Mm. Gotta be on the list versus some of these other ones that are going to have more personal story attached where I think being amongst the greatest matches of all time is certainly a personal reason to put it on, but definitely going to be a little bit different than some of these other upcoming ones. Um, which is going to be interesting because it's not to spoil too much, but it's going to be the last match before 2000 on the list here. So that'll be kind of an interesting uh, dichotomy here. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Yeah. When I was looking over the list, I was like, was not expecting you of among folks to have only two matches pre-2000 yeah. and those to be True. just 90s so this would be very interesting to kind of keep going forward uh i don't have a whole lot to add here other than i think you broke it down beautifully but is there anything else you want to kind of tag on here uh as far as this match is concerned no that's pretty much it i, I hope i haven't spoiled it for you now <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> I've listed out all the good parts. There's little things now you, you can look out for, Sam. When you do get to it eventually, you can remember this podcast and pick out all this. See if you pick out any little bits that I picked out as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I know there I is... mute when I was talking. <laughs> there is going to be a lot of... Whenever I go to that project, I'm going to have a lot of material to go into for All Japan, whether it be uh, Joseph series um, on YouTube or the post-wrestlings um, podcasting series. I think there's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of All Japan, Kings Road, 90s, uh, late 80s resources kind of tackle if you're interested in doing your own deep dive. So there we go. Let's move on to match number three. It is from No Way Out 2004, taking place from the Cow Palace. It is Brock Lesnar versus Eddie Guerrero. Jamesy, why did this match make your Desert Iron Cop? Okay, so, so again, um, trying to take snapshots of different times in my life and where I am as, as, as a person, I suppose, and where I am as a wrestling fan. Um, to, like, 
So the, around the time this happens, like my years when I was in university or college, I guess, as you guys would call it, would be kind of from 2000 to 2004. And for me, that was a huge part of it. Like uh, up until the time I left home and went to university, pretty much the only wrestling I'd been exposed to was WWE, some, but not a lot of WCW and a tiny bit of ECW. But that's pretty much it. I, I had no real knowledge yet of wrestling from Japan, wrestling from anywhere else in the world, really. Um, and then I go to college and suddenly I have internet access and I start reading about wrestling and I start reading wrestling reviews and it opens up a huge world of wider wrestling to me. Um, and like I would say that period when I'm a college student, when I have lots of spare time and I have lots of time to sit in the library in college when I probably should have been studying and um, doing my notes and that kind of thing. I'm online reading about wrestling and just soaking up as much information as I can. And um, I, I wanted to represent that time in my life. And funnily enough, I end up using a WWF match to kind of represent it because um, so this is this is Eddie Guerrero's first shot at, at a world title, as far as I know. Um, and it I think if somebody who's maybe a little bit younger is listening to this, you know, internet darlings, and I hate using that phrase because it's it's almost a derogatory term, but you know that the guys that we fans in the bubble gravitate towards, guys like that doing well in WWF is to some extent normalized these days. You know, we, we've seen Danielson do it. We've seen CM Punk do it. We've seen guys like Kevin Owens get world title wins and that kind of thing you know it's quite normal from people to go from being the in the bubble darlings to being wwf champion back in 2004 even for eddie guerrero to get a world title match was a big big deal and it wasn't we didn't expect that for our favorites you know what i mean like and for him even for him to be getting the title shot was a major major deal you know and like during those college years the other tradition that we had was we would all go out and get very drunk on a Friday night and then get up on the Saturday morning, still probably a little bit drunk. And we would watch Smackdown was aired over here on a Saturday morning and we'd watch Smackdown. And like that era of Smackdown was tremendous. You know, you're, you're talking the Smackdown six era. You had the, the, the growth of Brock Lesnar. You had Kurt Angle, all these guys coming together. Rey Mysterio comes into the WWF as well. Like there's just so much really, really genuine and good stuff on TV. So, like, I, I'm invested in Eddie at this point. He's my guy. And, you know, it's I, it's an amazing match, first of all, as well. You know, the match itself is incredible. It's, um, it's and I, I, I watched it in preparation for this podcast a few days ago. And it was the first time in a long time I'd watched it. And it's, it's nearly a better match work-wise and bell-to-bell-wise than I even had had a picture of in my head. It, it's a tremendous match. Um, it, It's like it's a real underdog meets the monster match, you know, like the commentators are giving Eddie no chance at the start. It's, I was surprised at the, the to say the first half of the match is very much suplex city Brock almost. You know, he's completely dominant. He's sneering. He's actually doing the repeated suplexes to Eddie like long before it became his thing and long before it became a thing that people chanted about and the catchphrase was so it was like it's almost an early blueprint for suplex city brock you know um and there's just that there's 
it's a great match. Like uh, there's this this leg work in it that I that I had totally forgotten ever happened. You know, um, Eddie basically his way of getting back into the match is going after Brock's leg, and they weave the leg work really really nicely into the match. There's really great struggle over you know like like Brock. We talk about like Brock Lesnar. Like for me, in his own right, one of the great American wrestlers of all time. Like and I know you're big into your greatest wrestler ever thing. And um, where would you have Brock? If you were if you were to make a greatest wrestler ever list tomorrow, Sam, are you high on Brock, or where would you place Brock in the overall oh, scheme of things? Absolutely, he'd be in my top fifty somewhere. Mm. I find him to be just a genuine genuine force, mm. pretty much from his debut onward. One of the true like just freaks of yeah. professional wrestling history. Like there is no one that's ever been like him, and ever will probably be like him. Absolutely. And watching him in this match, like, I think this is something like something ridiculous, like maybe 18 months or less after his TV debut. And he has this amazing epic world title match where it doesn't feel like Eddie is in any way leading him through the match or, or being the veteran. And like, it almost feels like Brock is the one that calls the match in one way. And like that to me is unbelievably impressive for a guy as as early in his career as Brock is here, you know, and just just like his selling in this his leg selling um the the way they establish at the start that Eddie's an underdog but they never beat you beat you over the head in it maybe in the way that suplex city brock would become in some of his matches later on you know but Eddie always has enough hope that you do genuinely still believe that he has a chance um the, as i said the legwork is amazing there's there's i i see people talking down the match because does the Goldberg interference kind of diminish Eddie's win? But there's, the, I think there's enough after Goldberg does his bit for it still to feel like Eddie earned the win himself. You know what I mean? And um, so I don't mark the match down in any way on that. There's like, it, it's one of the great, I, I don't know if I would call Michael Cole a necessarily great or all-time great commentator, but I think his call on this is really, really good. Like he's when Eddie goes up to the top rope to hit the final frog splash, like he's his iconic call where he's come on, Eddie, come on. He's literally shouting for him is like one of those iconic moments of commentary that I will always remember. Um, and yeah, like and I think it's mainly on this risk on this. It's mainly on this list for me because it's such a feel good moment again. You know what I mean? And like the post-match celebration we're all aware at this point of Eddie's struggles in life, about his addiction issues, about how he came back. And, you know, it's not that long that he's come back into WWE after being sacked and, and feeling yeah. like his career was over. I will say so, there was one of the oddest calls as Eddie was making his entrance to this match. As Michael Cole did be saying, Eddie has a new high in life. Oh, gosh. <laughs> feeding off these fans. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. If <laughs> that might be too soon. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But look, it wouldn't be WWE unless there was something classless, you know. <laughs> and like, yeah, and the post-match is phenomenal. You know, he leaps into the fans and like, it, it's a genuinely joyful moment. It, it is one of the all-time great WWE feel-good moments, I think. And it's, as I said, it's it's one of, if not the first time in my wrestling fandom that one of my guys that I kind of knew about in a bubble and like I knew his Japan work and I knew his WCW work and he had been in Ring of Honor not long before that he felt like it's the first time one of our guys 
properly made it to the very top of WWE. And that's, that, that was a big deal at the time. And I still remember that feeling. And as I said, it happened a lot in later years. And every time it happened, it became less special. But this was special. And it's a special moment. It's a special match. And again, we want the feel-good stuff on the list. We want to do what we want to think back to a time in our lives when we literally punched the air, you know, and literally choked up and had tears in our eyes when that match happened and we watched it for the first time, you know. And that's 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 important. Feeling things in wrestling is important. It's ultimately why we watch, you know, and that feeling is rare and that's the kind of thing you want to bottle up and bring away with you on a desert island, I think, more than anything. Yeah, for better or worse, um, it's become kind of commonplace for these sorts of folks to reach the highest mm. level in the sport. And that's not a knock. I think that's a, gen- a generally good thing. Um, but something like someone like a Wheeler Yuta, who is now getting a big push mm. in a major promotion from a million plus people on a weekly basis. Uh, his journey is a much different one. 2000, 2004, that time frame. Where there would be a road, he would have to go down, and he wouldn't be able to fast track himself in the same way. Um, and that might have been sweeter for us as fans to kind of experience. But it's still pretty, pretty darn good to see someone that uh, you did see in these small venues all not all that long ago, lying their craft, things like the Daniel Garcia match, that hour long match, mm. at least having those kind of benchmarks and seeing them succeed at one of the highest levels in professional wrestling, but it doesn't quite capture the same essence of an Eddie Guerrero who has his journey from Japan, has his WCW run that is not in any shape or form the same status as his WWE run, um, the heights he achieved there. So it's definitely, definitely a different time. That's for sure. Exactly, exactly. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's, it's in a way, that's, I think that's nearly what the work is now in wrestling, taking people's almost real life love of wrestlers and rewarding that because, you know, they can't really work as much in terms of characters anymore. But like, it, it almost became the WrestleMania story, didn't it there for a while? Like, like a few months later, Benoit gets his moment. Um, we get the Danielson moment we get you know crowning I think doesn't Ray get a world title win at one point on a Wrestlemania as well crowning the internet darling almost became a booking trope of WWE after a while because it was playing on very real feelings and very real emotions you know what I mean and that was the way to get us you know when they couldn't get us with actual working us anymore you know yeah in front of the right crowd in the right situation you can make someone seem like a a bigger deal than the vast majority of folks view them as um, yeah. just because you get the, the right amount of vocal people in the room. And I don't have anything else to add here for Brock Lesnar versus Eddie other than then just say like, it was great to see Brock Lesnar do his big bump over the top turnbuckle. Um, I was like, Oh, that's just a stable Brock spot that he's been doing for over a decade. Mm. Uh, dumping his whole giant ass over the top rope like he's 5'11", 180, not 6'3", 280. Um, Just an absolute marvel of a professional wrestler as far as a physical specimen goes. 
shouldn't be able to do the things he does, shouldn't be able to bump the way he does at his size whatsoever. All right, then. We're going to move on to match number four. A very different match to anything we've discussed so far. Mm. It is going to be from October 15th, 2009, Pro Wrestling Noah. It is Kenta versus Ricky Marvin. Why did this match make your Desert Iron Cop? Um, so I was making the list and I was putting a lot of matches on the list that were long matches epics you know you tend to put the main events on don't you you know when you when you think of a great matches it's usually the big long matches and i suppose a, a, a bugbear of mine with wrestling in general is that i hate that a lot of wrestlers take way too long to tell a story and it, you know i would always say that you do not need 40 minutes to tell a great wrestling story you know that there are times when going very long is appropriate there are times when going very long is the story of the match in itself. And I can appreciate that it's necessary to do in those situations. But um, I, I wanted to have something short and I wanted to have something different. And I wanted to have something that I could sit down. And if I only wanted to watch wrestling on a particular day on the desert island for five minutes, I could go into this match and pop it on and just watch it for five minutes. And maybe that would be enough of my wrestling fix for one day, you know, and if you're going to go for a short match and you're going to go for five minutes, I think this is probably the best example in wrestling history of just a flat out sprint of a wrestling match. Like it's, it's an absurd wrestling match to my mind. You know, it's, it's basically the closing stretch of a much longer match compressed into, is it two minutes and 12 seconds or 13 seconds or something like that. And it's just incredible. It's, it's like, it's like heavy metal wrestling, I would call it. Like there's a there's a famous soccer manager, um, the Liverpool manager Sam uh, Jurgen Klopp is his name, and his brand of football is high intensity, high octane, uh, high work rate. We never give the opposition a second to rest. You know, we're constantly in their faces, and he calls his brand of soccer heavy metal soccer, and I would call this wrestling match heavy metal wrestling. Like it's just it's it's just starts as it means to go on and it never gives up for the few minutes that it's on, you know, um, it's, it's the urgency of it, you know, and at the end of the day, the essence of pro wrestling should be number one. Your main reason for being in the ring with somebody is to beat them and to win the wrestling match. And like, I just love the fact that there's such an urgency in both men to win this match. They are, they're making the match feel so important because they're trying so hard to win the match at all costs, you know, like it starts off with a massive dive. Um, I have a theory that no bad match ever starts with a big, has ever started with a big dive. I think starting a match hot, like the Wheeler Utah match last week, you know, start a match hot with a big dive and you're winning straight away. You know, um, the John Woo dropping kick straight afterwards where Kent's head hits the bottom turnbuckle. There's these little nip ups that Marvin does to avoid a kick from Kent. Like it's just this ridiculous stuff, you know, that that could look contrived in someone else's hands but looks good when he does it and then you get the big cutoff from kenta as well he hits this massive lariat that turns marvin inside out and like even within the confines of this short two-minute match they still have learned psychology like i think it's three times kenta goes for the go to sleep before he finally gets it you know the first time marvin reverses it with a head scissors then he tries to do the same thing a second time but this time Kent is able to block it and hit a power bomb. And then the third time he finally hits the go to sleep, nails it as well. One of his better go to sleeps, I would say. 
Um, and it makes it feel, you know, even in, in, in the course of this match where all these crazy things are happening, there's, they've built to the finish. They've, they've built up a finish, they've teased it, and then they've hit it. You know, so it's it's it, they've thought about what they're doing. They're not just going out there and doing stuff for two minutes and then ending the match. And then I really love the fact that he doesn't pin Marvin straight after they go to sleep. He kind of, um, it's like he, he does this completely unnecessary running Randy Orton-style punt where, like, he's already knocked Ken, Marvin out, but it's like he's he, Marvin has pissed him off. By Marvin going so hot and heavy at the start and diving on him, Kent is kind of, he's been woken from his slumber and is extra pissed off and kind of punishes, punishes him that little bit extra just for doing that, you know. Um, and it's just really great, you know, and the psychology is sound. Like, Kenta at the time, in 2009, is very much the man in the junior division in, in Noah, you know. So it would make sense for Marvin to kind of be coming into this match going, I need to... I need to get at him straight away. I need to do something big to start the match to have any chance of beating the ace of the division, you know. Um, and, like, they could have had a really good 15 to 20 minute match. But what they did instead is so much more memorable, you know. And there's no way that 15 to 20 minute match gets on by Desert Island list, whereas this does. And it's it amuses me as well that in a promotion that historically has always had a major problem with matches going way too long just for the sake of it, that this two-minute match for me is maybe my favourite Noah match in history. You know, it just goes to show, it's almost like it's a, a fuck you to the rest of the promotion, just to show them that, yes, you can also tell a great story in two minutes. You don't need to go 40 all the time. Yeah, it at that two, two and a half minutes, it is one of the most wild matches you're ever going to mm. see. It shouldn't work, frankly, like, I think any match, most matches should be under five minutes, frankly. There's <laughs> not a lot of need for the majority of matches in the professional wrestling world yeah. Yeah. to be over that. Um, no one's got that many good ideas. They're all bad <laughs> for the most part. Um, occasionally, someone's going to come up and hey, no, well, let's do 15. Uh, let's get tap, tap out there. But yeah, they were like, hey, what if we just go to the wall for the entire duration of the match? Don't take a breath. But I still have everything just functionally be in the right place at the right time. Any slip-up could have taken this match down a peg. Just because any slip-up would have been, yeah. like, there was no room for error. Mm. It, but every move is huge. Every bump is ridiculous they don't take any chances as far as that goes like everything's gonna look like i'm getting blasted by a missile launcher it is gonna be like a video game essentially i'm just getting thrown into outer space and i think that's beautiful and for a match this length that's perfect like why no why so few wrestlers are like hey what if we try to do something like this Maybe they're just not as talented. Probably not. These are two of the better wrestlers that will you'll you'll see. Frankly, um, may not grace wrestler ever list type folks. Who knows at the end of the day, but better than your average, that's for sure. Um, but it feels like, hey, this is the mentality. Maybe some more folks should go with, especially when you're like, oh yeah, I'd rather go twenty plus minutes and try to do a New Japan Pro Wrestling Junior match for some reason 
there's a better way. There's a better way to do things. And I think this just proves it. Absolutely. Yeah. And as I said, I'm sure they've had other matches. Um, I'm sure I've seen them, but I don't remember them. But yeah. I will never forget this match. <laughs> yeah. When you look up, I was trying to look up match up and cage match just to get all the information down. Right. And I was like, oh, they have another match in 2009 earlier that year. It goes 28 minutes. Very didn't watch it, but I was just like, ah, that's not the one I'm looking for. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, it, I would be very interested to contrast those one day. Won't be anytime soon. I don't have that much time in my life to dedicate to a to a 28 minute Kenta match, but who knows? And I also knew Sam when you got the list when you saw that there was a two minute match on. You were probably faced with ten matches to have to watch in a short space of time and three promos. You were probably delighted. <laughs> I was like, ah, yes. Minutes. Yeah. Perfect. The ideal. <laughs> I was also like, oh, a two and a half minute match for a desert on a comp. That's interesting. I'm always kind of curious when something goes that short, but I totally get the reasoning. That's for sure. Yeah. There's, 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 everything else is pretty much a main event. I have enough long matches there, you know, and you, you could come up with the logic that I should make my desert island comp as long as possible. But like, you know, as I said, the day will come when you want to just watch a little bit of wrestling in a day and just a little little taste, you know, a little amused bouche of wrestling is enough for one day and like brilliant. You you won't leave this match not feeling happy. You know, it's it's just it's brilliant. Yeah, it's grin inducing, that's for sure. Uh alright. Moving on to our next match. It is from three to one battle. July 28th, 2017, Daniel Maccabee versus Timothy Thatcher. Jamesy, why did this match make your Desert Island comp? Um, it's, I suppose anyone who knows me will, will not be in the slightest bit surprised to see this match on here. Um, I think amongst our group of friends, Sam, and our infamous Slack chat, you know, which has come from the remnants of the Wrestling With Words website, um, this might be Slack Chat the match in a way, you know. Um, I, I, the, the first time I ever saw this match was uh, when our, our mutual friend Brock from the Brockades Wrestling blog. I'm sure most people will be familiar with his brilliant reviews and from the the podcasts, the yearly podcast he does with Quentin on this network. Um, Brock, I remember, came into our group chat one day and had this YouTube video, and he said, "Guys, you should you should really watch this match. Um, it's." And because it was a Timmy Thatcher match, my ears immediately pricked up. Um, and I didn't know, I had never heard of the opponent. And he said, oh, this, this guy is a friend of mine going back to years ago when we were yarding together and that kind of thing. And, you know, he's a really good friend of mine. And he's, you know, he's so happy with how the match went. And I think you guys would like it. And I went into watching the match for Timothy Thatcher. You know, anyone who knows me knows of my love of Thatcher. He's, he's possibly my favorite currently active wrestler in the world. Um, nothing but love and respect for the man um, could spend an entire podcast talking about how great he is and I think we're both in agreement on that um, but I, I came into watching the match for him but I left the match having fallen in love with his opponent Daniel Maccabee um, you know this this guy wearing a football jersey and you know this the setting of the match straight away is is something that I really gravitate towards. Like it it happens in three two one battle, which for people who aren't familiar with it is a now defunct 
indie that used to run out of Seattle. Um, and it's it's a weird and wonderful setting, I think, isn't it, Sam? Like it's 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 a non it's not a traditional wrestling crowd. Um, but it's a crowd that reacts exactly as you would want a wrestling crowd to react to a match. Um, the, the, the commentary for the match is done over the house mic, which is, uh, you know, it can be jarring, but at the same time, once you get used to it, kind of adds to the charm of the match. Um, I would say match... house mic commentary is usually some of the most god-awful stuff yes. I yeah. will ever experience. Mm-hmm. It sounds terrible. The commentary is usually not good anyway. So it just doubles down on that. Here, it definitely, it fits the mood entirely. It does. It's such a quirky place and it's such a quirky setting. And the guy doing it is actually good. He he, he like he's he is recognizing the drama of the match and he's kind of amplifying it in his own commentary, you know. So he does a great job in, in helping this match to be better, which which is what you want from commentary, really, I suppose, you know. Um, and it's it's a traditional match in the sense that it's the the incoming superstar who very much heals it up on the night wrestling against the hometown hero. And that's the, it's a simple story. It's a story as old as time, but when it's done well like this and when it's done properly, that's all you need. You know, wrestling is simple. I I preach simplicity in wrestling an awful lot and there's nothing simple or complicated about that story, but it works perfectly. And it's a brilliantly worked match. It's, you know, it tells the story of the local guy for long periods of the match being outclassed by Thatcher beaten up by Thatcher but ultimately beating him and you know it's the work is amazing in the match but it's it's the post-match really that that gets me and brings me back to this match like you know it's um Thatcher who has been an asshole throughout the match like he even opens the match by throwing the referee out of the ring and they have this kind of a comedy character who's going to be the referee and he throws him out of the ring and demands a serious referee to come down and referee this match and he's a complete dick throughout he's really cruel and vicious throughout the whole match but he's humbled ultimately at the end of the match by Maccabee and like there's a very real moment at the end of the match where he presents Maccabee with his ring camp Dimata is highly scarf and he proclaims to the crowd that um what is it he says like this this scarf says the matter is highly which means the ring mat is sacred and nobody epitomizes that more than daniel maccabee and it's really emotional and it's really nice and it's really like maccabee is completely genuinely overwhelmed by the whole thing you know what i mean and you know um he has spoken a lot about this match since and i remember hearing him on a podcast speaking about it before like this to to get this match meant the world to him you know and like he really 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 trained hard coming up to it he wanted his cardio to be the best it could be it meant a lot and for him to be legitimized and put over in such a way by thatcher meant the world to him and like this match made him really you know like n- none of us knew who daniel maccabee was before this match and he very quickly became one of my favorite wrestlers like i i would find myself getting up early on a those those three to one battle shows would happen on a friday night and when he was like i remember he had a big match with jonathan gresham a year after this match i remember and they would stream those shows live on twitch and i remember getting up at six in the morning, one Saturday morning, Irish time, to make sure I watched his match with Gresham live. He quickly became someone I gravitated very much towards. I became friendly with him. We struck up a friendship and I have I had him on a podcast of my own in the past. Um, and he's somebody I've championed and 
in the same way we talked about Eddie Guerrero, you know, when your guy makes it. Like, I, I was lucky enough to go to Germany a few years later to WXW and got to see Maccabee wrestle over there, which was a massive deal for him, you know. And if this match with Timothy Thatcher doesn't happen, he probably never makes it to, to WXW and to being in the Ambition Tournament. So, again, it's like it's, uh, I have a lot of nice memories and nice feelings of being a Daniel Maccabee fan and it all comes from this match you know and like I, I gained a friend from it and I gained you know an appreciation of a wrestler that came from nowhere and blew me away and how often does that happen Sam these days that, that this wrestler that you never knew about just gives you everything you want from a pro wrestler you know and in the same way that Thatcher gives me everything I want from wrestling Daniel Maccabee is very much the Jamesy wrestler you know the, the, the little bits of limb selling he does, the technical style he works, just everything about him is me, you know. Um, so yeah, as I said, like it's it, it is a match that's a really great match, but it's everything around the match that gets it on the list here. You know what I mean? And I gained so much from this match from being shown it by Brock in the first place. That again, there's so much memory and associated nice happy feelings with it that it's a no-brainer to bring away to a desert island for sure. Yeah, I. I going with your point there i don't feel like i've had a feeling since the wko message boards back in 2010 through 2012 of feel like i was on the ground floor with a professional wrestler mm. before they were breaking out before they were doing things even at a mid-tier indie level and three two one was not a mid-tier indie no. um no. i under my assumption, based on coming when we started, I think that kind of became a bit more in that vein, at least a little bit more well known through the Thatcher match, similar to kind of the Thatcher and Biff match back in 2014 or so, where that kind of shed light on Thatcher and then he started kind of moving up. I think this match had that effect on Makabe and the promotion as a whole. Obviously, Maccabee has done a lot more since. And I think not going to give Brock all the credit there, but like I know he did a lot to get into our circle. I know he probably got into the hands of Dylan before Hales became actually involved in uh, professional wrestling to the degree he has, which has now turned Maccabee into kind of a Southern indie staple where he's had <laughs> great matches there. Uh, a weird situation from a, person that was working the canadian and pacific northwest scenes and now emily now he's got a match this evening that we're recording on the april 16 2022 against a kind of an indie wrestler on the rise in hoodfoot so it's uh very interesting how his career has gone since then he is not a spring chicken he is not someone that i would expect to ever sign somewhere because one of his skill set is just different and two like he is not going to be there for the long haul, but he is going to amass kind of this cult following when it's all said and done. And that's kind of beautiful and that we were able to see that kind of really start in 2017. There's definitely stuff from beforehand where you can look and see, oh, hey, he's pretty darn good. Um, but we really see him not just grow as a professional wrestler, but just grow in his comfort level of being more of man, a quote-unquote name but someone of notoriety pretty great <laughs> um 
yeah, that's all. That's what I have to say on Mock Bay versus Thatcher. I love the match. I think it's pretty great. I think I might enjoy their second match better. Yeah. But, like, you don't get an intro twice. So, I think this is a, a great match to put on the list. Yeah. And it, it's the post match got it on. I, I would agree that maybe the second match is the better bell to bell because they, they do that thing where they completely flip the roles, don't they? So Thatcher comes in as the baby face now in the second match and, and Maccabee has become a heel in the promotion and kind of has his his newfound fame that he got from the Thatcher match has gone to his head and he's turned into an asshole. And it's so the whole thing flips. But um, in terms of the memories and in terms of the post match and just the the nice, as I said, a lot of these matches that I'm putting on here are about the nice feeling, the, the warm feeling that you get in your tummy from a nice memory. And that's what this match is for me, for sure. I love that. Uh, all right, there we go. Let's move on to our next match. It is from Liverpool. ROH is unified. Brian Danielson versus Nigel McGuinness. Why did this match make your desert on comp? Okay, so again, talking about significant time periods in my life as a fan. And I am an old school ROH box Sam. I was there for the peak years watching as it happened i was on the message board if twitter had been around i would have been an incredibly annoying presence defending every single little criticism that came up and defending gabe's booking to the hilt i was that guy back in the mid 2000s <laughs> and thankfully twitter wasn't a thing because i would have been unbearable um and this this is the first match there's three matches on the list where i was there in person for the match and this is the first one of those on the list um and like to tell the story of going to the show i suppose and like as i said had been an roh fan avid roh fan uh for quite a few years um buying the dvds watching them posting on message boards about them all that kind of good stuff um and then the word comes out that they're going to do a show in the uk and I'm straight away like i am going to be there i am going to be front row i am not missing this for anything and I remember I took a sick day from work the day the tickets went on sale because I needed to be in front. Like I, I had to be front row for this. You know what I mean? It wasn't going to be good enough just to be there. I needed the best ticket in the house. So took a sick day from work just to buy the tickets. Flew over on my own because there were there were no other ROH fans that I knew personally from Ireland. Um, and, you know, through the message board, met up with a group of fellow ROH fans from the UK and like some of those people I'm still in touch with today. Um, Benno, the famous Benno from the Grapple Spotlight podcast and the Grapple app um, was somebody I met at that weekend for the first time. I ended up doing a post like 15 years later, I ended up doing a podcast with him on the post wrestling website, you know, so lots of things came from that weekend that were big parts of my fandom in the future and in my life. So again, there's a lot of nice feelings that come with this match, you know? Um, but what puts it over the top then is like the actual match itself, like is just unbelievable. Like it's, it is, you know, I, I've seen quite a lot of live wrestling, mainly around Europe in my time. Um, and it's, it's the best live match I've ever seen. It's the best wrestling match I've ever seen in person. Um, everything about it like it's it's hard to like the atmosphere in that building on the night really was something else like it's it was even seeing Danielson for the first time in person I remember when he walked out from behind the curtain 
and the presence the man had like was just unbelievable like and he was he was in full on dickhead heel mode that night like he was properly healing it up because Nigel was the local guy you know so he was adding an extra layer of heelishness like and he was just something else that the force of personality like it, it doesn't come across on a tv screen the way it was in the ring you know it was just something else and again it's one of those matches that i didn't watch for a long time and then i watched it back about two or three years ago for another podcast and watching it with 2021 or 2020 at the time jamesy eyes like God, I don't think I appreciated at the time how good the actual wrestling in the match was. You know, like it's a pure title match and every rope break almost feels like a pinfall in itself. There's a story around it. You know, they tie together arm work and, you know, he works the arm for each of the different rope breaks. And then there's the, the big ring post spot, of course, you know, the, the, the infamous bursting Nigel's head open on the ring spot spot that has you know, that has, in a way, defined his future career and future life in many ways. And like, it's, you know, we can talk about how wrong it was to do that. And we can talk about the, the far-reaching consequences taking bumps like that had on Nigel's life. But you can't deny how, how you know, significant and amazing a moment it is as well in the professional wrestling match, you know. And there's there's a moment after that ring spot, ring, ring post spot, where Nigel is on the floor and there's a count out and he he hulks up and he has a lump the size of a tennis ball on his head. He's covered in his own blood and he makes it back into the ring and he hulks up and the place just went insane. Like I'm talking, you could have been in Memphis or Mid-South with the, with the hometown baby face covered in blood, hulking up to beat the heel. You know, now he doesn't win the match. But my God, what a moment. Like, we talk about, like, just pure, pure pro wrestling. Like, and to be in a crowd when something like that happens, a hugely organic moment where a whole crowd, and like, he had been a heel up till then in the promotion. It just happened that he was an Englishman in England. So they were going to cheer for him. And that was basically the moment where he turned face, you know, and it's, that will always stay with me, that reaction as well. Being a part of that particular moment where he hulks up is something else, you know, and yeah. Like the fact that I got to see the greatest wrestler of all time wrestle in person, that's a special thing in its own right. On a weekend where I made lifelong friends, where I got to see my favorite promotion of all time for the first time when I kind of thought that would never happen. A very special weekend with special memories. And again, ideal for this list, I think. Yeah, that checks off all the boxes. Great personal experience mm -hmm. of, yeah. hey, I got friends from it now. Yeah. Uh, yeah getting to see your favorite promotion live for the time um seeing the greatest wrestler of all time having him on just the list period and it's a great match there is no flaws in this as a desert island yeah. match it's perfect it's pure it's beautiful i don't have anything else to add today was my first day the first time i ever watched it no way and it's pretty amazing um, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen the infamous spot so many times at this point that I uh, kind of lost some feeling uh, as far as like, okay, when do I actually want to do this? Figure out how to make it part of something else. But given this was coming up, I was like, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's go for it. Yeah. Um, I don't have obviously the same personal attachment, but it is a spectacular match between two of the kind of great rivals of the aughts. 
So it's got that going for it as well. Um, obviously, you have Jane, uh, Joseph who put out a video around this as well. So definitely go check that out. Yeah, watch Joseph's. And watch the, if you're going to watch it and you have time, watch the matches between them before and after, I would say. It, it's a great... It's a great DVD-R rivalry disc comp, if you want to call it that. Like, And if you watch the earlier matches, you get little things that happen in this match then that kind of go, ah, okay, the last time he did that, he beat him with it, and this time he hasn't, you know. So you'll get all the good layers as well that only add to a great match as well, you know. So, yeah, phenomenal stuff. Just just, just a great match. Um, the importance, the fact they were unifying, like the fact that they came to England and gave us value for money. Like, we would have been happy with a house show. You know what I mean? If they had come and just done multi-man matches and just to say we saw these guys, to say we saw the Briscoes, to say we saw Roderick Strong and Austin Aries and Generation Next and all those guys, it would have been enough for us if they came and did that and phoned it in a little bit. Like, we're used to, at that time, all we had really in terms of touring shows was WWE house shows. You know what I mean? So if they had just done that, they would have sent us home happy. But instead, they really went the extra mile. They unified their two major titles and they did it in England for us. Like, And that was that really meant a lot to us that they did that for us as well. You know, that was a big thing. Yeah, I I can't imagine um, as well. The only thing I've got close is that I live in upstate New York where we don't have a ton of professional wrestling mm-hmm. of great scale uh, and notoriety, but not quite the same as a whole country and landmass uh over there so bit different bit different um but yeah i, I don't have anything else to add to nigel for Danielson from unified is there anything else you want to kind of put a bow on that or are you all set no i, I think that's I've said my bit yeah happy to move on all right moving on then we have from october 8th 2012 it is Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Minoru Suzuki from uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling's 40th anniversary King of Pro Wrestling. Why did this match make your Desert Iron Con, Jamesy? Okay, I was... Um, it, it, it was easy for me to, to probably put, I would say, seven or eight of the matches on this list. You know, they just, they, they literally, I just typed them out. They came to mind easily. And then there were two slots left, I think, and I was kind of racking my brains thinking, you know, this, again, I could put any amount of great matches. I could put any amount of five-star matches. Um, and I was thinking, well, what if I was to show somebody a match that sums up what I want from pro wrestling and that sums up the values and that sums up the philosophy of pro wrestling that sums me up the best? What match would it be? And, you know, I thought of lots and lots of different matches. And then I settled on this one because it, this match to me is, it's pretty perfect. It's pretty flawless. It's, you know, it it feels apt that I represent modern New Japan on here. I think that's, you know, that that, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling in the last decade formed a significant part of my fandom. Um, But also... I represent it in a way that is different to actually what most of the what that style was, you know. Um, and Suzuki Tanahashi, two of my all-time favorite wrestlers, two wrestlers that 
don't have the bad habits I think that a lot of the modern New Japan roster have. You know, like I would never really list, even though I can appreciate the great matches he's had, I would never list Okada as a favorite of mine. I would never list Naito, Kenny Omega, any of those guys. But this match, two of my favorites, two of the best of all time. Um, and they do one of, if not the best limb work matches of all time. And I have a particular love of limb work in wrestling. Whatever it is about it, I really, really enjoy it. Like when somebody starts working a limb in a match, it just makes me happy. You know, I, I, it's, it's, I have this, I, I could go on a massive tangent now. And again, the, yeah, there's probably a psychology is dead with Quinton in this topic alone. Um, but I feel like if you're working a limb or you're, you're executing a plan in a match, you're filling your time wisely. You're telling a story. You're giving the viewer something to sink their teeth into. And I think working a limb is perhaps the best and most classic way in pro wrestling to do that. Because you get in, not only are you doing something, you're also giving your opponent something to do because you're giving your opponent the chance to sell and you're giving their opponent a chance to sell something as well. So it's two guys working together and they have to work together to produce the best and most classic story you can possibly tell in a pro wrestling ring. And this match does that brilliantly. It's a double limb work match. You have basically Tanahashi comes into the match and there's a big bandage on his arm. So his arm is already injured. And in the opening parts of the match, he kind of is hiding the arm behind his back almost as if to kind of keep Suzuki away from it. But then Tanahashi gets a little bit cocky and he kind of mocks Suzuki a little bit by playing the air guitar on him. And Suzuki straight away almost sees red and snaps and attacks Tanahashi's arm. And he completely destroys Tanahashi's arm in the most interesting and compelling and vicious way possible. Like there is such a thing as good limb work and there's such a good thing as bad limb work, you know, and sometimes people work a leg and it can be the most boring, dry thing you've ever seen. But when Tana, when Suzuki goes after a limb, you know it's going to be good, you know it's going to be interesting, you know it's going to be done with the charisma and with a variety that will keep you interested no matter how much he does it, you know. Um, and Tanahashi's only way back is the classic Tanahashi move of attacking the leg himself and he does that with gusto and that's pretty much the match you know there's nothing more to it it's a very very stripped back bare bones match that's literally what happens in the match um two guys attacking limbs and whose limb is going to fall apart first and who's going to lose the match and it's a toned down version of tanahashi you get in the match like he doesn't do the big high five flow to the outside he doesn't spam the sling blade like he does in other matches. Um, he, like there's, There is literally one pinfall in the match, and that's the pinfall that ends the match. There's no near falls. There's no convoluted closing stretch that you get in, in modern New Japan that I've kind of come to be very weary of at this stage. So, as I said, it, it gives me a chance to represent that era, but also it's almost a chance to show a match that, didn't follow the formula and a match that went against the formula and it's an important match like it's the match that kick-started that whole revolution in new japan you know it's it's the first new japan match that Meltzer went five on in, in long years and years and it started off what became then them becoming one of the biggest promotions in the world um and it's it's i think it's one of the greatest matches of the last decade i think in 10 years time when people revisit that era of wrestling people will realize that this is far greater than a lot of the ones 
that people call the classics now. I think it will stand the test of time better than most because it's a timeless match. It's a match that, you know, and it's it's a nod to New Japan's history as well. You know, New Japan is a promotion that was built upon, you know, technical wrestling and mat work and that kind of thing. And there's a whole history of it there that you could go back to through Inoki and Fujinami and all these guys. Um, so as I said, it, it, it's a lovely bridge between the past and the present of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And it's very much me, a me wrestling match. And as I said, if you ask me to put on a match that caters particularly to you as a wrestling fan, I think this would probably be the match I would settle on. Yeah, I think this was definitely around the time where I don't want to know, don't want to say that it was like when New Japan felt like it was busting out in the West, but it was getting closer. Um, I know the G1 was definitely a big kind of move there. Still, like, New Japan World was not a thing, and that wasn't quite there. I remember a lot of talk around this match around the time, specifically because of the lack of near falls. Um, and that was just a big talking point from Meltzer among the circles I was inhabiting mm. at the time. Yeah. And that was a huge selling point. I think definitely around this area from let's say 2012 through 2015 uh, ish or so, it did feel like something like this could happen um, on a more nightly basis in the sense that it didn't feel like a quite gotten into the status quo that you knew exactly what you're getting into mm. maybe that's just with hindsight um that i have the years of hey this is how it goes mm. um yeah. and this is how it continues to move forward but at the time it felt like this is a wholly unique match but it's also something that could happen in a similar situation any given night you didn't know what you're in for necessarily I think any night in New Japan for wrestling from like 2017, 2018 onwards, like, oh, you could picture the exact thing in your head without really having to stress yourself out too bad there. Um, a very unique match that I think its uniqueness has not been deteriorated with time. Um, mm. Usually that kind of, hey, it's a novel wears thin i think if anything this just continues to hold up better over the long run yeah it's a, it's a fine wine match i think it, it will continue to age better and better with time and as new japan deteriorates as a promotion which i think it undoubtedly has been doing in the last few years um perhaps more people will look back on that and say maybe we should have stayed that road of wrestling style instead of what we ended up doing i don't know Something to think about. Something to go back in 10 or 15 years' time and do a podcast about and look back on the style. And they kind of, they came to a crossroads with this match where they could have continued with this style, but instead they slowly, slowly went another way with the with the dramatic endings and the, the convoluted finishes and the reversals and that kind of thing. And interesting to think what it could have become if they'd stayed the other route. Yeah, there's definitely an alternative timeline mm. somewhere here. Unfortunately, not the one we were gifted. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, moving on. 
we are coming towards the final trio of matches here. From 16 karat gold tournament, night two, 2018, it is Walter versus John Klinger versus Ilya Dragunov. James, why did this match make your Desert Island comp? Okay, so this is the second of the matches I chose that I was there in person to watch. Um, and that forms a major part of my reasons for picking it. Um, I'm sure when you saw it on the list, you probably thought that's a strange, like, you know, there's lots of these on the list that are kind of self-explanatory. You can understand why somebody would pick them. This is very much, I think, a personal choice. Um, again, there's a story around it. It, it was my first ever time going to Germany to see WXW. Um, they were a promotion I had been watching pretty avidly for two or three years before that had really grown to love, had really good, grown to love the type of promotion they were. They had a lot of wrestlers I loved, between Thatcher, Walter, all these guys. They felt, and they kind of still felt a little bit like a hidden gem for a long, you know, and it's, there's that conceited thing we do as fans where you feel like I'm the only one watching this and it's mine, you know, that kind of a way. Um, and then in 2017, I think they, they really exploded as a promotion when there was that, remember the big final of Carrot between Walter and Ilya, um, that really just, you know, I, I, it, it caught everybody's imagination. And I had I had toyed with the idea of going to Carrot in 2017. And when that match happened and when I saw it afterwards, I really kicked myself for not going. And I kind of, at that point, I made sure that I would be there the following year, you know. And again, a very special weekend in my life, again, went there with lots of friends. Like I did this time, I did have friends from Ireland who were wrestling fans and quite a lot of us traveled over and I also had friends from the UK were there. So just as, as a social weekend and as a weekend where I, and actually at that weekend, I reconnected with people that I hadn't met since the time I went to England to see the other match we talked about, the, the Danielson McGuinness match. So lots of personal little reasons why this is a special weekend. Um, but the real reason it makes the list is the not so much the bell to bell match itself, but the the preceding angle. Um, so th this was the the WXW title match, which traditionally happens on the Saturday night of a carrot weekend, um, and it was it was built up initially as it was going to be Walter against Bad Bones. And they were the two top guys in the promotion at the time. They were the two leaders of the two biggest factions. They had Walter was the leader of Ring Camp, and uh, Bad Bones was the leader of Rise, who were the big heel faction. And it was the natural kind of it was the natural culmination of a kind of a year of booking that these two guys would collide in the big main event on the Saturday night and have a big title match. And in the build up to the match, Walter, I think he won something like a tag match and it gave him the chance to name his stipulation for the match. So they both come out and to set the scene, like the, the turban and Halle on a carrot weekend back then at the height of WXW phenomenal venue to watch wrestling in Sam. Like it's, 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 it's like this giant warehouse, but the way they set it up, you're in this massive space, but it feels tiny. You feel like you're in a small room, but there's like a thousand people watching this. Um, they set it up so well that like no matter where you are in the venue, the sight lines are amazing. The acoustics in this venue are amazing. Everybody's up for it. The place is crackling with electricity. Everybody's really invested in this match. 
They have a live band there to play um, Bad Bones' music. It's it's big time, you know. It's an independent promotion, but they're going all out for this match, you know. And both guys come out. Walter comes out to his music, and it feels like you're watching one of the biggest stars in the world, you know. And like it's 2018, Walter. Like, and I hold Walter's 2018 in really, really, really high esteem. Like to me, it's up there with the great years that people have had, like Samoa Joe in 2004, 2005, like just the string of great matches he had that year in England and Ireland and Germany. Just a guy, a superstar, really, at the peak of his powers. And we're getting to see him in his home promotion on their biggest night of the year. It's big time. The place is already alive. There's electricity in the air. And then Walter takes the microphone and names the stipulation. And his stipulation is that the match is going to be a three-way dance. And he calls out Ilya Dragunov, who hadn't been seen in the promotion for, I think it was three or four months. He had left the promotion in November of the year before, and this was March. And Ilya had become one of the biggest baby faces, if not the biggest baby face in the company at Carrot the year before. And the whole reason this match is on the list is the reaction that him appearing out of nowhere gets. Like, I have never experienced... I wouldn't, it feels cheap to call it a pop because a pop feels small time compared to what this reality, it was just an outpouring of joy and emotion. And like, literally there were people crying around me, like at this guy coming back, like it, it was something else. Like, and you did the rush, like I, I was still trembling, like 10 minutes into the match, I looked down at my hands and the rush of adrenaline from that reaction was still coursing through my body and my hands were still trembling, you know. I, I just, like, it, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever witnessed as a pro wrestling fan. Um, and again, to me, a no-brainer to go on this list, you know. And again, I watched the match back in the last few days. It's actually a really good match. I, I don't like triple threats as a rule. I, I think they're contrived and I don't like the dynamics that they set up. I, I, I just... They just don't work for me. There are not many great three-way matches in, in the history of wrestling, in my opinion. This works because it was built, you know, the, the angle was the guy coming back. Each of them have their own rivalry, like Walter Ilya. So you're getting a rematch of the carrot final from the year before. Ilya and Bad Bones have had a rivalry for years in the promotion. And they've already built up the Walter Bad Bones thing throughout the course of the year as well. So it feels like if you're going to have a three-way dance, this is about as good a genuine reason as you would have for putting one on. And, you know, Bad Bones is great in the match. He's kind of the cowardly heel, but at the same time, he's not going to give up his title easily. Anytime Walter and Ilya interact in the match, it's just magic, as it always is with those two. Um, like, one of the great rivalries of the European wrestling boom is those two, and, like, they're, they're still doing it on a bigger stage now. You know, it's a match that you can't go wrong with, really, you know. Um, so, yeah, just... What a moment, really. And like it's it's the memory of that moment and it's the memory of being there with my friends. And like that's something we all talk about to this very day. Do you remember the when Ilya appeared and the noise? I, I as I said, it's hard to really put into words that that the, the noise that erupted in that building when he came out. It was just something else. At one point, going to the 16th carat was like a wrestling bucket list. Yeah. For me. yeah and, and for me it totally was. Yeah. Massive one, like, yeah. I don't think that's going to be the case again. We'll no. see uh, what future years have in stores. It seems like this previous year's iteration didn't look bad, but 
obviously without the same level of interest from folks like yourself and folks kind of just in Europe in general, it lacked that sort of intrigue. It's like, oh, part of it is like that energy that feels palpable. Um, unfortunately, the, the online video that you can find in kind of the version yeah. that's sold, I believe, in streaming, uh, all of the WX stuff wxw stuff has like their own house music for yes. going over entrances yeah. because of copyright stuff so his big entrance you don't really get to feel that and the way that you would hope i think there is a youtube video out there somewhere um yeah. where it's just the entrance yeah because like i i remember i came back from Karis and like i couldn't stop talking about how great this was and i remember going back into our group chat and raving about this thing and going, oh, guys, like, wait, wait until you watch the VOD of this. Like, it's going to blow your minds. And then it came out and everybody was like, well, yeah, Ilya came back. That's nice. But, you know, it very much is you you could only be there. And in a way, that was part of the beauty of WXW. Because, like you said, they didn't license the music on their VOD. So there was always this kind of stock music that would play as people came out. So the only way you could actually properly get the full WXW experience was to get on a plane and go to Germany and see it. And that was part of the selling point of those carrot weekends. And it's exactly what you said there as well, Sam, like that it has dropped off so much. Like like a year later, Walter was signed. Ilya followed soon after. The promotion got co-opted by WWE. The whole thing fell apart. So like, I'm so glad that I, that I, I got to see the last great carrot before it fell apart and like that was my last chance and if i hadn't gone then i never would have got to experience the proper true wxw you know and that's part of my my reason for being so attached to that weekend like it, it was it was it was it was the peak and i think in a way the buzz they got from that moment was almost one of those kind of times where it actually damaged them in the long run because they got so much buzz from it that people started to notice them and wwe started to notice them and of course, WWE couldn't let us have nice things and destroy the whole thing. Yeah, looking at this past year's 2022's version, it does have folks like Fuminara Abe, does have Jonathan Gresham, Gresham. Shigehiro Iri, Ace Romero, who is someone I am a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not a, a draw for certain folks, but there are names that are definitely a part of this. It's just... No one cares. And like some of the local... now, And I hear from people who regularly watch WXW that they're building it up again and they are making new stars. Like, But it is going to... It's a long road back to like that. That, that was... I mean, it's hard to go from the base of your promotion saying he's a lifer for Europe and that this is his home and that mm-hmm. he will never go pretty much anywhere else at the end of the day. And then have that quickly be curtailed and say you out i'm out i'm not only going to be out of the promotions i've been on i am going to be leaving the kind of this part of the entire world to go to the united states after having made just may not lengthy claims but just pretty pointed remarks of that not being of interest he basically went back on anything he ever said. <laughs> yeah, so it's hard to there, get There was, there was a time where he, he wouldn't even fly to England. He was like, no, I'm happy in Germany. 
And then he started doing England. And then he was like, well, I won't go anywhere else. The next thing he was in Ireland, which was great from my point of view, brilliant. But like, and then it was like, ah, I don't really, I wouldn't really do PWG. And then he shows up in PWG. And then it's like, oh, I'd never signed for WWE. No way. And then he's in NXT. And then it was like, I've signed for them, but I'm going to stay in NXT UK. I like my life in Germany, but able to fly home. And now he's on SmackDown. (laughs) The coward Walter, a man of his word. (laughs) Yeah, and once that happens to, like, the face, it's hard to get invested in someone again. It's like, oh, am I going to... I want to see them succeed, but not in the... They also spurned me along the way. (laughs) I don't want to be lied to. Like, if your goal is going to be, I want to be wrestling on the biggest stage possible. Great. Don't tell me otherwise, and then have that be the case. Um, as I said, that was the peak. We, yeah. we got the peak, and I got to be there, thank God. So, as I said, nice to remember the good times. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, yeah, and while we do not have great footage of the entrance, you will have that in the me- old memory bank. So, exactly. not exactly <laughs> necessary evil for yourself. Um, we're bringing this along. All right. Moving on, then. It is going to be... From October 1st, 2005, the match the show is named after, Samoa Joe versus Kenta Kobashi. Jamesy, why is this match Iron Desert Iron Comp? Um, again, the old ROH bot in me wasn't satisfied with just having one ROH match on there. Um, kind of had to put this match on. Um, it... It... It reminds me of a time in my life when the only way you could really get to watch cutting edge wrestling was to get the DVD. Um, and back in those days, the show, the ROH show would happen and you'd, you'd be on the message board as the show happened and you'd be reading people's reaction to things happening. You know, and you'd have people coming on saying, God, wait till you see this match. Um, and giving their star ratings live in the building and and this match happened and the hype just went through the roof like I mean people were saying all kinds of things about this match Meltzer a week later was inundated with reports from people calling it the greatest thing they'd ever seen he was before he'd even seen the match he was talking it up like that I don't think I've ever seen hype around a match as much as this like it was insane how much hype there was for this thing and the problem was you had to wait four to six weeks for the DVD to come out. And me being in Ireland, you could probably add another week to that again for postage and getting it through customs and all that kind of thing. And it's probably the best example ever of a match being insanely hyped, but the reality actually living up to it. Like most times when a match like that happens with so much hype, I purposely don't watch it for a while because it never live. You can't live up to some of the stuff people say, especially these days. Some of the claims people make about matches, and then you watch it, and you're like, "Oh, that was good." Like, but it wasn't the greatest thing I've ever seen. As people are way too fond of saying these days, you know. So I often actually let a match sit for a week, and then I go and watch it when all the hype has died down. This is a rare case where the DVD arrived, and I distinctly remember this DVD. Like, I got lots of DVDs from ROH over the years, but I distinctly remember this one arriving. And rushing out, I remember leaving work early and rushing home to watch this and literally rushing into my house, not even taking my jacket off, 
and putting the DVD in the DVD player, skipping forward to the main event and putting it on. And it was genuinely magic. And it, it actually was what people said it was for once, you know. Um, and it's, it is just a great match. You know, it, it's, again, theme of the podcast. It's a simple match. There's nothing complex about it. It is. It pretty much is Kenta Kobashi coming over and playing the hits. But it's Kenta Kobashi playing the hits, number one, in an unbelievable atmosphere, like a phenomenal, receptive, well-informed audience who want to make this guy feel as special as they can. And number two, he's coming up against a wrestler who might be on the greatest run that any wrestler has ever been on in Samoa Joe in 2005. Like, and... Joe was never, ever going to let this just be a match. He he comes into this match, and you can see it in him straight away. He is determined that he is going to set Kenta Kobashi on fire and get the best out of him. And he does that in spades. And you you hear all these stories afterwards. Kobashi came to America, and he wasn't entirely sure would people know who he was. And he wasn't entirely sure what way he should play this match. And when he went to the building that night, he kind of puts forward the idea to Joe that, well, I'll play the evil classic foreigner, you know, the, the Memphis heel from Japan. I'll, I'll play that kind of a role. And Samoa Joe is like, no, 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 no. You be Kenta Kobashi. That's all you need to do. Go out there and the crowd and me will take care of the rest. And that's what happens. And, you know, th- through Joe's fire, like there's a moment where Joe hits Kobashi for the first time. And Kobashi kind of looks at him and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we are doing this tonight. We're doing it that way. And from there on, they just have this great match. And it's, again, it's it's a match that it really exemplifies the importance of the crowd in wrestling. Like the crowd is so important to this match because they go insane for everything. They know Kobashi spots. You know, they know when to respond to them. They understand what a big deal it is when he hits machine gun chops and all those other spots and that kind of thing. And it's just great. It's just magic. And again, it's only 22 minutes. You know, it's not too long. It's not bloated. They do what they have to do. It's it's a basic match, but it's a great match. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's lived up to everything that I had heard. And that's one of the few times that's happened in my life. Anytime someone tells me this match actually isn't that great, I put them on a list. <laughs> Good. I cannot fathom thinking this match is anything less than amazing. It is one of my favorite matches just ever, period. It is, like you said, it is kind of Kobashi playing the hits, but context is key here. Like, it's doing it in kind of, Mena has peak run, but before his body is deteriorated um, completely. Um, still has gas in the tank, for sure. In a promotion that is sort of built as him, with him as a, an idol, essentially. Um, all the pillars. And against one of the great wrestler runs ever mm. in Joe's 2005. Just like flat out one of the best times a wrestler's ever just had that's special and like it lives up to that kind of billing like it's the hits but it's the hits in a very specific 
kind of cosmic gumbo. So, yeah, I am very glad to have seen this match on your list, and I am hopeful this match. It feels weird to say, I hope this match gets it to do, but for some reason, it feels like people have soured on this match to some extent. Maybe saying, hey, it's, it's really good, it's, it's great, but it's not, like, a special match. Um, but I'm hopeful that we can get back to a time where that is the case, where it's treated with that kind of reverence. Yeah, no, like it, I, I can't understand people shitting on this match. <laughs> Sometimes, Sam, you just watch a match. And you know, after about five minutes, Adam, the magic is here. You know that there's the, the you, it's, you can't even put it into words. I just call it the magic. The magic is in this match. It's, it's it's only a certain small number of matches ever that have it, but this match has it. There's just a magic in the air, and there's, it's it's just and like it's what what was also special about it was like we're we're very used to the stars of Japan coming over to America and Europe now. Like it's it's normal, you know. The, the, Minoru Suzuki the is doing it on a weekly basis. It, too much to my mind. <laughs> you know, like it's, it, he, it's not special. You look at the list of people he's wrestled at this point. It's not special to see Minoru Suzuki wrestle anymore. You know, whereas this was Kenta Kobashi coming to the States for the first time. You know, they'd had Kenta over. They'd had certain people. They had, they had some of the All Japan guys over. But Kenta Kobashi felt like just another level totally. Like, you know, this was a god of wrestling coming to Ring of Honor, you know, um, and like, it, I felt like he was treated by everyone involved with the respect he deserves, by the fans, by the promotion, by Samoa Joe, by Samoa Joe taking him seriously and hand-waving his notions of coming out and being a heel and saying, no, <laughs> be the Kenta Kobashi that we've all been watching on tapes for the last 15 years. That's all you need to do. You know, they, they treated him with the book, like he respected him by beating the shit out of him. And that was the, that's the best possible respect you could pay to the man, really, you know? Yeah, and they've had folks like Liger and yeah. Muda, but yeah. this was just a different match. situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, hey, this is a dream match. This is a kind of a top billing. This is the real deal. Um, and we're going to put every circumstance possible here to make this match deliver. Where I don't think that was in the same vein as the other ones, where it's more like maybe an autograph opportunity for the yeah. fans, which, yeah. hey, good for them, folks. I'm sure seeing a Liger in person, a great fun to be had there. But not quite the same as, hey, we're going to book the dream match and we're going to do everything in our power to, to make that click. Yeah. Absolutely. And keep that list. I want to see that list, Sam. um also anyone that says samoa joe was a joke in japan also weird i disagree he was good in zero one at the turn of the early 2000s oh yeah um i've read too many online posts that wow this match could never work in japan um to any extent because joe is treated as a laughing stock i don't know who's been fed this information or why that's it was a prevailing thought at the time, or where, who started that rumor. It doesn't feel real. All right, moving on. This is going to be the last match. We're going to get into the angles after this, but this is very specifically the last match from the Diwali Theater. It is British Strong Style of Pete Dunne, Trent Seven, and Tyler Bate versus 
Angel Cruz, Be Cool, and Tyler Bate. Jamesy, why did this match make your design comp? So this was from OTT Wrestling, um, which ran here in Ireland and is still running here in Ireland. Um, first of all, elephant in the room. Um, I agonized long and hard about putting an OTT match on here in the first place. Um, I Since the speaking out movement happened a couple of years ago during the pandemic, I haven't watched an OTT match. I haven't been to an OTT show. Um, quite frankly, their response to the speaking out movement has been shambolic. It has been shabby. They have continued to use people who had very serious allegations made about them. They have more or less laughed at fans who have brought concerns to them, very real, very genuine concerns to them. A lot of their roster has left in disgust. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and promote them in any way, shape or form. And if there's anyone listening who doesn't want to hear OTT being discussed, skip forward five minutes, whatever it takes. Like, I totally understand that, you know. Um, but nonetheless, for, for a long, long time, being an OTT fan was central to my fandom. Like, between 2014 and 2020, I would say you could count on one hand the number of at least shows in Dublin that they ran that I missed. Like, I was all in on them. I was a massive fan. I made great friends through going to those shows, people I'm still in constant contact with today, people I bonded with. Um, and as time has gone on, I'm kind of in a better place now where I can look back on the good times of those shows and appreciate what I got from it. I, I gained friends, I gained memories, and absolutely, I want nothing to do with them anymore. And as I said, I am not here to promote them or talk about how great they are as a promotion or as people because they are not great people. Um, but yeah, and there's there's another kind of a personal reason why I put this match on the compilation as well. The 14th of June 2017 was the day this show happened, and it's a date that will always be etched in my memory. Um, that morning, I got a phone call from my brother, um, a very upsetting phone call. I'm not going to go into the specifics and details because it's something that's private and personal to him. Um it was a life-changing moment, I would say, for him and for me. Um, one of those phone calls that rocks you to the core, I would say. You know, not not a nice call to get, as best I would say. Um, and I spent the rest of that day with my brother. And by the time the evening came, I had it had totally gone out of my head that there was even a wrestling show on that evening. And I remember calling my wife. I was in town because my brother lived in town at the time. I remember calling my wife saying I was on the way home and she said, you've got tickets to that wrestling show. Like maybe just go along, you know, um, you might as well. You're in town anyway. And I kind of did. And I was in a daze. I remember going to the show and like I looked back at the cage match profile of that show yesterday when I was kind of thinking about what I'd say today. And God, like there's matches on there that I was there. I was in the building. I saw. And I could tell you nothing about, like, literally, I have no recollection of them. I was there. I saw them with my two eyes. I was sitting in the second row. But because I was so distracted, 
none of it registered with me whatsoever. But and the one thing that does stay in my head is this match. And for me, this particular match, it's an amazing example of the ability of pro wrestling to help us forget our problems for a few minutes. Um, like, why do we watch wrestling, Sam? You know, it's it's escapism. It's it's this absurd world that we can go into for a while and we can take refuge from the trials and tribulations we face on a daily basis, you know. And the match itself, like it's 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 I wouldn't even call it a wrestling match as much as a, it's an extended comedy sketch, I would say. And like it's it's very hard to do it justice on a podcast because you know it's it's easy to break down a match where there's limb work and there's big moments and you can talk about the little things that the wrestlers did to make it great and all that. Um, and like, I'm not comedy wrestling as a general rule is not my thing. It's not something I'm particularly fond of when it's done well, I can appreciate it, but a lot of comedy wrestling and meme wrestling, just not for me. And I tend to just skip over it, but this one is, it's, it's a genuinely great and funny match. And like it, it literally, it was so funny that it snapped me out of my the days I was in on that night watching it. Um, it's a match that has humor, it has charm, it's irreverent. It it's all the things that OTT used to be great for. Like it, it it took local talent and it put them beside these big stars. Like and at this point, British Strong Style are big big stars in the wrestling world, and it puts these local wrestlers beside them, and it allows them the chance to shine. Um, and like the whole story of the match is the absurd story of Tyler Bate somehow wrestling for both teams in a six-man tag. And both sets of teams are claiming him as their tag team partner and all the hilarity that ensues from that. Like, and it's, it, you know, I can't really sit here and describe it in a way that people will appreciate, but it is really, really funny. And it pays off a long-running storyline where the Irish team were, they were like delusional and they believed that Bate was their friend and tag team partner. And this kind of the whole thing culminates with them coming together. And there's just humor and emotion in it. And for me, looking back to it, I suppose it's a reminder of better times and it's a reminder of worse times. Like it was a time when I was naive enough to believe in the Irish wrestling scene and those involved in it. But it's also a reminder of just the amazing power that pro wrestling has to give us comfort and a distraction when we really need it. And like that genuinely was one of the worst days of my life. But for a few minutes, I forgot about that. And I was laughing and smiling. And that's what pro wrestling is, you know. And even though I'm disgusted with OTT, and even though I, as I said, I will never have anything to do with them again, I still feel like it has a worthy place on my desert island comp. Um, I would recommend to everybody go out and watch all the matches on this list but skip this one if you need to you know i i didn't put it on there so that ott would get clicks on their youtube or get views or anything like that or for people to go on there and talk about how great ott is or anything like that it's very much a personal pick and it is my list at the end of the day and as i said i just think that's that's all important stuff and that you know if i was on a desert island that would be it would be food for thought and it would be something to kind of appreciate what pro wrestling does for us, you know, that, that it can be a distraction and it can be something that takes us away from the hardship of life every now and again. Yeah. Your personal experience is your personal experience at the end of the mm. day. 
Yeah. Like, you can't tear that away despite these accusations or outcomes that have happened mm-hmm. over these past few years. Um, that's not to say, like, hey, going forward, let's promote, let's move forward, let's do more. Um, but the memories remain. And sometimes those memories are just going to be too important to kind of give up, especially when they're not they're not new. Like you can't necessarily taint the past in that sense. Um, all right, I'm not going to belabor this one too much though. Um, totally get why that's on here. That's match number ten. Now we move on kind of to the bonus round. We have mm. three angles coming on up. First up. We have Bret Hart reconciles with Owen and the Bulldog. Why is this match? Why is this angle on your Destiny Comp? So, um, this isn't one of those ones where I was necessarily watching at the time. So, like, 97. This is 1997. I'm 16 years of age. I'm not avidly watching wrestling at this point in my life, I don't think. I'm keeping an eye on it but I'm not watching on a weekly basis by any means. Um, And this was more a comp. The famous DVD VR comps, the Good Helmet comps. And the famous Good Helmet has, I think it's maybe nine or 10 disc compilation of the Heart Foundation's 1997. And I remember buying this online and it was one of the first compilations. Like I have... I have a whole press here beside me, a cupboard and like two shelves are full of spindles and DVD cases of all the various discs I traded for and bought over the years. Um, And this was one of the first ones I ever bought. And it's a phenomenal disc set. Like it's, it's just that 1997 run that the Hart Foundation had is it's as good as WWE television and it's as good as WWE storytelling maybe ever has been. And I just think it's this segment is just, it's great. It, it, it popped up on my Twitter feed about a week ago when I was trying to think of promos or segments that I would put in this. And I remember looking at it going, yeah, I want to talk about that. That was brilliant. Um, it's a unique segment on WWF television because it's usually angles are people breaking up, aren't they? You know, it's, it's one person turning on the other. And yet this is people reuniting. And that alone makes it unique. And I suppose it's more moving and poignant now because Owen and Davey have passed on since. You know, like, and what a tragic story that family is. Like, that they must be up there with the Von Eriks as one of the most tragic wrestling stories of all time. Um, and just the, the segment itself is amazing. Like, everybody in it is brilliant. Like, Brett is... Brett's incredible in it, you know. And we we don't talk enough... Everyone talks about Brett's wrestling and his in-ring we don't talk enough about Brett, the talker. And by 1997, he had kind of become this amazing, I think he doesn't, you know, people start talking about the greatest promos of all time, the greatest talkers, because he's not a shouty promo guy and he's not a necessarily an impassioned promo guy. He doesn't come to mind when people talk about the greatest talkers of all time. But like the, the Bret Hart kind of matter of fact, calm, measured promo is just as effective I think you know and just this whole angle like he's he's treading a really difficult line in this because it's 
it's a baby face angle for the most part reuniting with your brother after fighting with him for how many years and bringing the family back together that's a baby face move that's the kind of thing a good guy would do that's the kind of thing normally the crowd would cheer but he manages to reunite the family but remain as a heel because he's constantly framing it as these American assholes made us do that, made us break up in the first place. And these American assholes have no family values and we're better than them. And it's like, it's, it's an amazing balancing act that he does in this promo where he, he remains a heel, but does the most, like he, he literally says the words, I love you to his brother in this promo. Like you don't hear that on WWF television very much. It's, it's heartfelt and sincere and touching but at the same time, he never loses his heel heat. Like the crowd are still booing. His facial, like, like this, there's that facial expression where the three of them reunite and hug each other. And Brett just has this smug, self-satisfied look on his face. And he just looks out, looks almost at the camera. And it's like he's staring a hole in the American audience, like kind of going, ha, I did it. In spite of you all, I got my family back together. It's it's just a man. Owen is great as well. Like his, his lip is trembling when Brett is talking about getting him dressed for school in the mornings and getting him on the bus and just the whole thing, just a lovely, lovely piece of business. Like, and it, it, as I said, it, it's not one that's particularly synonymous with a point in my life, but you know, I suppose continuing the theme of our, our last match where, you know, I talked about my brother and that kind of thing. And anyone who has a brother knows that a brother to brother relationship is, it's not straightforward. It's, it's usually complicated. There can be animosity. There can be differences of opinions. There can be pig headedness and stubbornness. And that's something I can identify with as well, you know, and just, yeah, just, just, I just think an amazing, amazing segment from start to finish. I never seen this before. So wow, really? Okay. This was definitely, I am deeply unfamiliar with Bret Hart's career on the whole. Okay. Um, always seeing very small blips. Um, something that I hope to rectify in the future. But mm. at this point in time, it's just like, oh, this is all blind spots to me. So it's definitely, right. this was definitely a, an interesting angle to watch unfold just because, um, I, I had never, never seen it and never didn't expect the, without having the context, the tone and tenor around this mm. of, what the point he was going to be making was um, mm, yeah. just because I associate Brett with just after a certain point being, Oh, he's, he's the good guy. He's the ultimate, just yeah, like baby yeah. face after a certain period of time after his kind of initial heart foundation run. Not the case. Apparently um, I'm a big, I'm a big dumb, dumb. Um, but yeah, this was very interesting, very neat. Um, I was like, Oh, this is, uh, <laughs> this is unexpected. Um, so it's definitely cool to see this on your list. Get get the compilation, <laughs> Sam. Honestly, if if you do one, if you watch one thing in the next six months, find it. I'm sure you, I'm sure you can find it through other sources. At this point, it's probably online somewhere. That's it's an unbelievable watch. And like if 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 Brett being like that is new to you, watch that and watch him fly up your greatest wrestler ever list because what he does in that 1997 is like, wow. Okay, God, there's so much more to this guy than I thought. Yeah, I might have a 1997 Brett comp somewhere that has well, everything he's done. Get to work, yeah. So I will definitely kind of go through my hard uh, drive to see if I can dig yeah. that up. It's worth it, honestly. It's it's as I said, like there was a lot of those, like the, especially those good helmet comps. 
are some like just I still have them here on disc and like some of them are among my most treasured possessions in wrestling because like he put the work in he picked out the the best angles the best matches in in you know we take we take visual quality for granted now these days with the network and streaming services like but he found the best possible visual quality copies of all these things and put them all in one place and like yeah just a, a really enjoyable way to consume wrestling yeah i miss those days i hence why made a desert island comp podcast because of that in some sense yeah. um all right let's move on to your next up it's a promo it is one of the greats it's eddie kingston's promo for against mike quackabush for high noon why is this match on your design comp well in- initially i actually wanted to put the match that it builds to on here um but i also kind of didn't want to spend 10 or 15 minutes talking about like quackenbush and how great he is and it just didn't sit right with me unfortunately so my compromise was because i did want to talk about eddie kingston and how great eddie kingston is and i didn't feel like he should be cheated out of getting his flowers so my compromise was let's put this promo on instead um i'd like i think we're both singing from the same hymn sheet when it comes with to Eddie Kingston you know he's for me one of my all-time favorites like just like there's nobody more genuine and real than Eddie Kingston there's no one more honest and you know searingly honest at times he'll talk openly about his own flaws no wrestler in history wears his heart on his sleeve more than Eddie Kingston like it's and it's it's his ability to channel his real life anguish and suffering into his promos and wrestling, I think that sets him apart for me. And this to me is the best promo I've ever heard. Like if you're talking one guy, camera speak about a match, I can't think of anything better in the history of pro wrestling. Think of all the greats or Ric Flair's blah, blah, blah. All these guys, this to me is the best. Like in it's a four minute promo and the amount of different themes and subjects he hits upon in those four minutes like is unbelievable like he he brings in the idea of a bad leg he talks about i've been to the doctor and they told me i shouldn't wrestle so straight away going into that match we have something to sink our teeth into eddie has a bad knee and that like if you watch the match that's a massive part of the match like quackenbush destroys his knee more or less in the match you know so he's straight away starting to tell the story before the bell has even rung he talks about how this match is his it's his big chance at redemption. He talks about all the bad things he's done in the past and how this match is his way of doing the right thing for once. And, you know, his sheer desperation to win this match and to do something right for once in his life, it just screams through the screen from every pore of the man's body. Like, it's unbelievable. Um, and, like, then the most emotional part of the whole thing is when he pays tribute to Larry Sweeney. Like, and... You know, Larry Sweeney, one of the most universally loved characters in modern wrestling history. You know, it's very, very hard to watch this promo and not have a tea. Like, if you know of Larry Sweeney and if you've experienced Larry Sweeney in your fandom, you can't watch this and not have a tear in your eye when he talks about Larry. You know, how he was his best friend and would have been the best man at his wedding, would have been the godfather of his kids. Like, just unbelievably emotional stuff, you know, and like... It's so nice that people remember Larry Sweeney on his birthday and on the anniversary of his death every year. And often the first thing I think of 
when people talk about Larry now is this promo, you know, and, and I think that's that speaks to how powerful Lady Kingston's words are, you know. And through all that, so he's talking about an injury, he's talking about his motivations for winning, he dedicates the whole thing to Larry. But throughout the whole thing, he never forgets to sell the match and the pay-per-view. He keeps telling you, you need to buy this pay-per-view. You need to go and see this match. Like, as a device for building interest in a wrestling match, it's as good as you could ever see. Like, And there's no way you can watch, you can sit there and watch that promo and not immediately want to go and seek out the match. Like, he's, you know, he does his job so well in terms of selling you on this match. Um, and yeah, it's it's, you know, Eddie Kingston is great, and I, I wouldn't have felt right not putting something from Eddie Kingston on this list. Like, it makes me so happy to see that 10 years after that was filmed, he's on TV, and he's the wider world is appreciating what a lot of us knew about Eddie Kingston back in 2011. You know, he deserves every bit of that success, but also, I don't think anything he will ever do in an AEW ring or any promo we ever cut in AEW would be as good as this. Like, this, this promo, to me is extraordinarily good. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's, if not, it's one of the greatest, if not the greatest promo of all time. It's just encapsulated. It's so many emotions mm. and that anytime I watch it, I get choked up. Like, mm. there are very few things that... It's impossible it, not to. Yeah. yeah you could feel every fiber of Eddie Kingston's being being put into that. And I think Eddie has an incredible talent, I would say, for putting his entire history of a being, of a person, into his words, into his promos, into anything he does in wrestling, but specifically the way he communicates anything. And I think that's special. And you don't get to see that with many wrestlers for a variety of reasons, whether it's just like, okay, they're a character so that they can't really put that much context into every word they say, but Eddie has always been Eddie. And it's great, like you said, to see him at the stage he is now, getting the love he has deserved for so long and that he has worked so hard for and that there was just an absolute chance that this never would have happened that it is by equal measures incredible talent incredible luck that eddie made it when he did but yeah i i understand why you wouldn't want to put up the match on here um but this is a great opportunity to just talk about eddie and how just exactly. amazing he is Shall we move on to the final bit here? Yeah, yeah. All right. With the last angle, we have one of the most infamous angles in pro wrestling. It is Shawn Michaels turning on Marginetti on the barbershop. James, why did this match make your desert on comp? Um, again, another nostalgia one, I think. Um, like I talked earlier about 1992 being the year for me as a child and this this was my first i think this was the first time i'd seen a turn in pro wrestling an actual angle where one guy turns on the other guy i can't think of one before that that i watched with my own two eyes for the first time and actually saw unfold in front of me 
And like that's that's a huge thing for a young wrestling fan to see that happen, you know. Um and the Rockers at the time would always have been my favourites. I think for for a young guy like me, like they they were energetic. Gear they wore was bright and colourful, and they, they they were just cool. They did spectacular stuff. Their double team offense was good. They were exciting. They were fast paced, um, and like a lot of wrestlers in nineteen ninety two weren't necessarily that, you know. So, um, and like in my head back then, tag teams were for life, you know. And and tag teams were tag teams. Like the, the, you didn't have much of two guys tagging every now and again and then going their separate ways and come like you were a tag team or you weren't a tag team and that was the way it was you had matching gear in my head they were the best of friends they did everything together um and they certainly didn't break up like this you know and they had teased it like i remember even the wwf magazine at the time had kind of put out an article saying how things weren't right with the Rockers and they had teased little moments of dissent and matches. So there was a build-up to it happening, you know. I was so comes- literally going to reference the WWF Magazine issue yeah. where they do this and they do point as the issue between the two being jealousy over which one was hotter, um, which I think was a bold stance by the WWF publication. <laughs> That's rather risque for 1990 to say. <laughs> Luckily, they never said, hey, they said uh, jealousy over attraction with the opposite sex or attraction with females. They wouldn't say <laughs> women because that would be too far. Oh, God, you couldn't go that far. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Don't make them sound like people. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it all comes to a head and they have their big showdown on the barbershop and... Even watching it back now, it's, it's very well done. Like, you know, they, they they have it out. They have their conversation. And Marty says, look, I'll turn my back and you walk away if you want to. And, you know, they, they do the old tease where they tease. You think that's the point when Sean is going to hit him, but he doesn't. And they embrace. And then, bang, he nails him with the super kick. And, like, Sean's super kick in 1992, like, he's in the Royal Rumble match that we watched earlier. His super kick in those days, it's kind of shitty. It's not that great, but like he nails a really good one here on Marty. I think I read a shoot or I saw a shoot interview years later where he properly nailed him on the jaw with it, like he didn't hold back whatsoever. And then the the whole putting him through the window thing, like that, I can't understate how big a deal that was to us back in 1992. Like he put his head through a window. Like you didn't see violence like that on a Saturday afternoon on WWF TV, really. Like, you know, it, it was still very much a cartoonish kind of a promotion, you know what I mean? And like, you know, and seeing someone bleed, like like he, he, he bleeds, you didn't see blood that much on TV either. Like, so it was really shocking at the time. And it really like, it always stayed with me as, God, that's the first time I saw someone turn on someone in wrestling. So again, just... Just nostalgia, as I said. There's no major story with it apart from that. Like it's it it is. I think it's a genuinely great angle. I think it's a classic pro wrestling angle, um, and it's as I said, like the, the 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 level of excitement we had when that happened was off the scales at the time, you know. So again, just a memory of that time in my life when when I suppose wrestling impacted me and they were able to make me feel things. You know what I mean? And like. That's a special thing as well. And that's the thing worth remembering and worth ruminating on on a desert island, I think, for sure. Yeah, I think this is one of the two angles that, as I was 
a quote-unquote big wrestling fan, but more in the sense that I was buying, like, the WWE, WF comps from FY, Four-Year Entertainment, FYE, or whatever kind of multimedia store with the DVDs, CDs, what have you, um, mm -hmm. and seeing like stuff like the Big Vision Entertainment stuff and whatnot, um, versus being online and part of a community of folks. Um that this and Roddy Piper and Jimmy Snuka with the coconut were the two oh, yeah, big yeah, angles yeah. in my head that will forever always be like, oh, those are the two big ones of the things that come to my mind with big um, shifting angles that feel like they were impactful for not just like these wrestlers, but like these promotions and kind of like trajectory of things to come. Absolutely. And, and and even watching it back now, it's, you know, you can watch a lot of angles like there's there's other angles that they did back, like the, the Ultimate Warrior Papa Shango stuff like comes across completely hokey when you look back at it now. You're like at the time, God, I was gripped by it. Like, but looking back now, God, not great. Like, but this this holds up like this is a genuinely good, well done. Um, you know, there's a nice tease in it. And they got me, you know, they got us all back in the day with this one. Like it was really good. Love it. That is a good note to end on. Um, in the sense that we're ending the desert iron comp. James, do you have any kind of plugs or any kind of final remarks you want to go for your list here? No, um, I, as I said, it was a really interesting thing to do. Really interesting project. As I said, it would be very easy, you know, you could sit here and just pick the, the 10 best matches of all time. But, you know, number one, you'd probably sit here, you'd get a lot of spoilers on All Japan if that happened, which isn't much fun for anybody. Um, I tried to kind of signpost different times in my life when I was most immersed in wrestling as a fan. Um, I hope people enjoyed listening to it. I, I certainly enjoyed watching these matches back as well. You know what I mean? Like sometimes when you're coming on a podcast and you have you might have a list of maybe seven or eight matches to watch and it's, it can become a bit of a chore and a bit of a thing you have to do rather than you want to do. Like I'm sitting back watching my favorite things of all time and a lovely thing to go back and do. Like some of these matches I hadn't watched in, it could be 10 years for some of them. And I, I got new things from a lot of them and it kind of, it reaffirms like the Eddie Brock match. I would have always said that was a great moment. But now I'm kind of thinking, God, it actually was a genuinely great bell-to-bell -bell match as well because I'm watching it now with 2020 eyes and picking little things out of it that I may not have picked out back then. You know what I mean? So it's nice to have these things affirmed to you as well. And you go, God, like, yeah, it actually was a great match as well. Like, I can now call that a great match as well as a great moment. So very enjoyable thing to do. As I said, great honor for me to be on here. I've always listened to every episode of it and always thought I'd like to be on here someday. So thanks for having me, Sam. Um, in terms of plugs, not an awful lot. I have my Twitter at Jamesy underscore 2015 and i do have some podcasts on this network now i haven't done one in a while but the the boots and trunks podcast i think i have five or six episodes of that up where i take a particular subject on wrestling and narrate a little script about my thoughts on it and throw some little stories about other things in and analogies in as well so they're up there on the we don't know wrestling podcast network as well if anybody hasn't listened but yeah apart from that thanks for having me sam thank you for being on and Go follow at WDKWPN on Twitter for any kind of updates on new podcast dropping on the We Don't Know Wrestling podcast network, iTunes feed, 
um, SoundCloud. If you go to SoundCloud, you'll also have a playlist of Boots and Trunks that you can just listen to there as well. Um, but yeah, also listen to the latest episodes of QNTR. Um, Quinn and Tim have done a great job of kind of giving a weekly roundup of things of interest to them which is meaning in interest of good wrestling so definitely check that out um but yeah jamesy thank you for being on and everyone thank you for listening